Welcome to the Water and Stone podcast. You are listening to episode number 158, our Sunday worship service for March 22nd, 2020, is clear. It is the fourth in the series, The Life. Miracles start when we make room. So our scripture today. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple. With the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who are selling doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Now, you get to decide how you feel about that piece of scripture. Some people love it because it's Jesus as Rambo. You know, there's this thing that happens where I finally get a Jesus that I can identify with because I'm angry at some stuff in my life. I want some tables kicked over in my life, and, and here's Jesus finally doing it. I get it, and I like it. There are other people who don't even like to talk about this part of the Bible because it doesn't match with their idea of the Jesus thing, right? They want Jesus to be really, really calm. They want the everything's going to be okay, and I don't want to hurt anybody kind of Jesus. And within those two extremes, there's all kinds of stops along the way. There's the guilt trip Jesus, who just doesn't want anybody to fight and will put up with anything, kind of a doormat model that we don't like so much. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. Ask yourself in this moment, how do you feel about that piece of Scripture? When you think about it, it's the kind of thing where you can apply it to all kinds of areas of life. Because it's not just how you feel about this piece of scripture, but you know that two different people can watch the same movie, hear the same argument, be a part of the same conversation, the same song on the radio, read the same book, have the same meal, and come out with completely different perceptions, lessons, experiences, be different people as a result of that moment we begin to realize that it's not the, the thing that happened as much as what they brought to it. So I guess I'm trying to say that how you feel about that piece of Scripture might say a little bit about what you're bringing to the table, whether or not the table has been kicked over by Jesus or not. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying that if you get into that part of Scripture and you read it and it seems like Jesus is angry to you, I'm not trying to say that it's not okay to be angry. My goodness, given what's going on right now in the world, it's okay to be angry, sick, hurt, afraid, worried, freaked out by the whole thing, right? I'm not telling you that it's not okay to be mad. But I am telling you that being mad is not the point. The other day, when we first found out that we were going to do church as a, an internet affair, that we were going to start live streaming this, I said, it's okay to be afraid, just don't lead with your fear. And I want to double down on that idea, because there are lots of people that read that part of Scripture and go, Jesus was mad, therefore, I can be Christ-like if I walk around irritated. Like somehow that's the, that's the point of it. I'm trying to tell you, that it doesn't really matter if he was mad or not. You can be mad. Don't let that be the point of your life any more than it's the point of that story. You can be mad or, or angry or afraid or any of those things. Just don't let that be the point to what you're doing. Don't let that be your thing. Let me put that a different way. 
you can say, you know, I know from watching the movies that Jesus wore sandals, therefore I'm Christ-like if I put on Birkenstocks. That's not the point, is it? It's not about the beard, no matter how wonderful it is. It's not about any of those outer things. That's not the deal, right? In the same way, it doesn't matter if your vision of Jesus in the story is an angry Jesus, or if you go, wait a minute, there are other ways to express that moment. And think about it with me. If you know the story, you know that when Jesus gets to the temple and he sees the money changers and the people selling stuff in kind of that food court environment, when he sees that, the first thing he does is sit down. He sits down and the Bible says he very deliberately, he very slowly makes what's called a scourge of small cords. You can imagine it like a whip, but the point of a scourge of small cords isn't actually to injure, it's to make noise. So Jesus sits down and very carefully makes a noisemaker. Now, I don't know if you're very good at arts and crafts. I'm not. But I know that I'm even worse at it if I do it when I'm angry. You know what I mean? So maybe that's not the deal there. Maybe there's something else going on. And similarly, think about the fact that we know that the tables got kicked over. We know that he told everybody to leave. We know that he scared the animals away. But we also know that at no time in the story... Did anybody call the cops? Now think about that with me. There were temple guards because this is a big deal. So there were church cops and there were Roman authorities. We know about that. And they probably would have liked to have been called to come and intervene, right? Nobody called the cops. So maybe this is less of a Real Housewives of New Jersey moment. And maybe this is more of a normal ray moment. If you don't know those, uh, those metaphors or those examples, Google is your friend. But maybe it wasn't either of those things. What I'm trying to say is that anger or any feeling is valid because it's a feeling and it's happening. I want you to be the kind of person who acknowledges their emotions. But that's never the point. I want you to think with me that maybe the point is not about the way that people feel. Maybe the point of the whole thing has to do with the idea that this is a story about deliberate action. If you're in a situation where it feels like your prayer situation isn't working, the miracles aren't happening, the healing isn't working out, the love expression isn't happening, the prosperity isn't working. If there is a blockage of the flow between you and God, let's say, maybe... This is the story for you because maybe what's called upon in your life is deliberate action. Not anger, but deliberate action. There's something specific that you know you're supposed to do. And once you do it, things are going to start to work out for you. That's what this story is about. Then and now. That's the deal. So, let's get into it. I think it's interesting that during all of this. So the story is that Jesus sees the, the stuff going on in the temple. He makes the cord. He starts kicking everybody out. You can read this in the book of John. But I love that one of the disciples looks at the other one and he says, you know, it's written in the Psalms, zeal for your house will consume me. Seems like a weird thing to talk about. Zeal for your house will consume me. And most people read that as one disciple saying to the other, ooh, the big guy's freaking out. The zeal for your house will consume me. But I want to plant the seed, and we're going to get back to it in a minute. But I want, to, I want to plant the seed that maybe they weren't talking about Jesus at all. Maybe they were talking about 
everybody else. Think about it with me for a second. We'll come back to that. But I want to go to the historical side of it because this story happens right after Passover. Now, if you've been watching these lessons, if you're part of this church family for a while, you know that I talk about the fact that there are a number of Passovers in Jesus' story. It's really kind of interesting that over and over again, something happens at a Passover, right after a Passover, right before a Passover. It's like the beats in the story of the life of Jesus Christ are punctuated by Passovers. Now, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because... It's a great holiday. It's a big deal because it was one of the focal points of the life of the children of Israel. That's important. It's important because he is honoring tradition. This is a big deal. Take a minute. Just take that little microscopic lesson and go, sometimes in your life, if you're trying to have something work for you, go back and find a way to honor where you've been. Sometimes the struggles that we have in life are because we're not paying attention to what brought us here. Take a minute and find a way to express some gratitude at the road that led you here, even if it's a bumpy one. The children of Israel had a bumpy road. But that's not even the big thing. Let's step out of that little lesson and get back to the big one. That's not even the big thing. The big thing is that Passover is a celebration of freedom. It's a celebration of freedom, and that's a big deal. But it's not everything. There's actually two parts of why this is important. And I think most people stop at the freedom thing. Yay, we're free. Now what? The example that I think of is when I was first behind the wheel of a car on my own. That moment of freedom and now where do I go? And also, I could hit someone. You know, there's that thing that happens. I've got this freedom. But just like Uncle Ben says in all of the 400 Spider-Man movies that they've made, with great power comes great responsibility. There's this thing that has to happen with that freedom. I know that I say freedom is a choice at the end of all of my talks, but I don't say that because that's the end of the journey. I say it because here we are about to go back out into the world from church or after we shut down our web browser or whatever, here we are about to do something. Freedom is the beginning of something. It's not the end of something. And what we do with that freedom is really, really important. And with that in mind, I want to tell you a parable. And this is entirely fictional, so don't worry. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. I want you to, to imagine that there's a country far away from ours where they're having a real significant problem. And someone has the mistaken idea that in this country where they're having this significant problem, they make this thing that's very important. It's called toilet paper. <laughs> Stick with me. Someone starts a rumor that all the toilet paper comes from this place where there's all these problems. And so, because they're having problems, they're not going to make toilet paper anymore. We need to get to the store and get all of it. And all of a sudden, before you know it, this idea comes out. And we need to go buy all the toilet paper. I know it's fictional, but just imagine with me how, what that would be like. It's crazy, right? But imagine that people go to the store, and they buy all the toilet paper, and they buy all the toilet paper, and they buy all the toilet paper, and there's no more toilet paper. And you see pictures on Facebook and social media and Instagram and all of that of empty toilet paper shelves. And so even people who didn't believe the story at the beginning go, ooh, there's no toilet paper. I better go buy some toilet paper, too. Maybe we should fight about it. This is what happens when a bad idea catches fire. This is what happens when a silly concept 
is communicated. This is what happens when we don't know what's going on, but we run with it. In other words, we've got our freedom, and what we do with it determines what happens next. Now, like I said, this is an entirely fictional story, but imagine if it was something more important than toilet paper. I don't even know. First of all, is there anything more important? But anyway, we can go in a different direction with that. But as it turns out, toilet paper is made all over the world. I know that's not really a surprise. It's made all over the place, including in this land of ours. And so it's a silly idea, but that's the power of a silly idea. That's the power of what happens when someone has a wrong idea about source. And I want you to know that so many things in our life can be answered with the parable of the toilet paper, or as I really wanted to call it, don't squeeze the shaman. The idea is, I know it's bad, but anyway, the idea is, if you got a problem in your life, if it doesn't seem like something's working for you, it may be that you got the wrong idea about source, where your good comes from, where your love comes from, where your self-esteem, your identity, your good stuff, where it comes from. It might be that you got a wrong idea about that. And that's the other thing. Passover is a, is a story of two things. It's a story about freedom, but it's also a story about the idea that you belong to God. It's freedom combined with source. When you have those two things, something powerful can happen. That's why this story happens, because this is a three-part lesson. Part one, acknowledge that you're free and that you belong to God, that you've got that relationship. You are chosen. You're chosen. But when you know who you are and you know that you're free, guys, that's only part one. Part two is you must then recognize that you got some cleaning up to do. There's some work and some growing in all of it. And that's symbolized in the story by Jesus who knows who he is, shows up at the temple and realizes, guys, we got to clean house again. Again. And then, so step one, know you're free. Step two, recognize that there's work to do. And step three is do the work. And it's an amazing thing that Jesus once again sits down and he makes that scourge of small cords, that noisemaker whip. And then he goes into the temple and he uses the whip to scare the animals. But he doesn't use it on the people. I don't know about you, but I would have wanted to. But he doesn't do that. He uses it to scare the animals, to the people. If they're interested in the money, he dumps out the money. If they've got their stuff on the table, he knocks a table over. This is interesting. Once again, this is probably more of a Norma Ray moment than a violent moment. But the lesson is that he is addressing each being in the way that they need to be heard. This is about deliberate, focused action. This is what Jesus does in the story. And the lesson for you and me is very simple. You know what you need to do. Sometimes it's really tempting when life doesn't feel like it's working out and you know exactly what you need to do, but you don't want to do it. Sometimes it's really tempting to go, I'm just going to pray for the flow of good in all things and with all people. And that's great on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, but it ain't scratching the itch, you know? You know very well that there's something that you need to do. Think about your relationship with God. Remember that step one. What's blocking that? Oh, you know, I know I really ought to be with my family instead of playing the game on my phone. I know I really ought not to eat that thing, think that thought, get in the way in this way. You know what it is, and it's hardly ever a big something. It's usually just a lot of little somethings. But you know what they are. 
part of that scourge of small cords means that the healing of life has to do with little moments where we just not even make the right choice, just stop making the wrong one. Be specific, because there is something specific that you can do to change things. And it's okay if it doesn't all happen right away. Part of the amazing thing about this is, if you know your Bible, you know that Jesus and the money changers in the temple happens early in the Gospel according to John, but it happens really, really late in the synoptics in the other three Gospels. And most Bible scholars believe it's not just a, a stylistic choice. Most Bible scholars believe that it happens in different places because they think that there's a strong possibility. Check this out. They think that there's a strong possibility that Jesus did this all the time. This was kind of his thing. It was like a Robin Hood kind of a moment where he'd show up and if people were messing up in the temple, he would go fix it. And then like maybe they'd go get lunch or something. The idea was this was an over and over and over again moment. Now, in a book called Mysteries of John, Charles Fillmore says, look, we all have money changers. In other words, we all have stuff to do. It's okay. And that's part of the lesson. It's okay that this happens over and over again. But I love the idea that this is part of Jesus' continual work to go put that house in order. Maybe it's okay if that's our continual work too. But I want to double down on that idea because... Part of what's going on here is the idea that, and this is the thing I want you to think about with me, the revolution is economic. Now, I'm not running for anything, and I'm not going to then start talking about taxes and stuff like that. That's not exactly what I mean. But when I say the revolution is economic, what I mean is what we do with our money, which is a symbol of our relationship with source, but it's not just a prayer time thing. It's how we act. I mean, think about it. Money that says in God we trust is an expression of faith because, you know, they're just little pieces of paper. We have faith in some bigger thing back in that. Money is our feeling about faith with source, but then how we do it because we spend that money. It's that whole cycle. You think you're not a person of faith? Did you buy something today? Are you gonna? It's a faith expression. So our relationship with that is huge. And it was huge then, historically as well. We know this. We know that, that in the year 66, we can have a historical moment here, in the year 66, so a little while later, there was a war between the children of Israel and the Romans. And the first thing that the, the Israelites did is go into their own temples and burn the debt records. Because the owners of the temples were colluding with the Roman authorities to keep people oppressed and all that. So I love it that this is Jesus as real-life, real-time hero but also that there's a deeper spiritual message about what are you doing to express your relationship with your source and what's getting in the way of it? What's, what's stopping the flow? Now, back to that thing the disciple said. Remember the idea that one of the disciples said to the other, remember it's written that zeal for your house will consume me? That's a lot. Sounds very Charlton Heston-y, but I think they weren't talking about Jesus. It's a little early in the story for them to be talking behind his back, if you know what I mean. I think they were saying that you can get so excited about wanting to do spirituality that you follow the wrong idea and start hoarding Charmin, for example, or you do the thing. You know as well as I do that there are moments when I've got this feeling about God and I, I want this expression and I want this experience and I'm willing to do anything. How much does it cost? Where do I go? What's the deal? You know what I mean. And I think sometimes people get so excited about the ability to buy God that they 
fallen with all kinds of schemes about if I buy the magic prayer oil, if I buy the hat, if I get the outfit, if I go to the right place, and somehow I will have purchased this. And it is that exact hysteria that we see now sometimes. And like I said, I get it. I have that zeal. I'll do anything, you know. But it's that exact hysteria we see now that we saw 2,000 plus years ago when, and people were selling to it. So what I'm trying to say is take a minute and ask yourself, am I doing something to sell myself short? Is it possible that I could dig a little bit deeper? Am I trying to buy this instead of feel this? Because at the end of the day, this whole thing is about how you feel about it. More than what you own and even more than what you do. Who are you about this? And I want to say that because it's incredibly appropriate right now. So many people have written to me and called me and, and emailed and all of that stuff. So many people have said, when are we going to get back to normal? And I feel that. Man, I want to go get some coffee. I want to go to the movies. And you know I want to go to church. I get it. When are we going to get back to normal? But you know what? That's a funny word. I mean, first of all, normal wasn't working real well for everybody, right? Maybe there are some things to question about that. But more than that, what is normal? I mean, you saw the Breakfast Club. There's no such thing, right? It's what we do. It's what we decide. Normal is just what we all agree upon. And maybe we can start to make better agreements. If you follow me on social media, you know that, that I've highlighted that there's a local coffee shop called Beans and Barler. And it's an amazing place. It's on First Avenue North in St. Petersburg, Florida, the finest city on the face of the earth. And I'm giving the plug because they are heroic. You know, because you watch all the same news that I do, that small businesses are trying to figure out what to do, just like churches are. I get it. But instead of panicking and freaking out, the owner of Beans and Barlow, this little tiny place, said, you know what, we've got all this industrial toilet paper in the back. Nobody's allowed in the restaurant. Why don't we just give it away? Maybe we can help somebody. And so they put it out on social media, and I forwarded on social media. A lot of other people did, too, and said, drive by, and we'll give you a roll of industrial toilet paper the size of a Buick, and you'll be fine. And if you want to put a tip in the tip jar, fine, but that's not even why we're doing it. We just want to be a part of this community. And that's amazing. Maybe normal is we just decide to help each other instead of deciding what's in it for us. Maybe normal is that in the face of the opportunity to freak out, we tighten up our understanding of source. Isn't that what the parable of the Charmin is all about? Maybe there's a different way that, that we can do all of this. And so I want to tell you right now that the point of this church, especially now as we figure out what the whole thing means and how to do it church in a whole new way and all of this amazing adventure, and I welcome the challenge, and I'm grateful that you're along for, for the ride. I just want you to know that we're here for you. Whatever we can do to make your life better, to enhance your experience with God. If you want to pray, counsel, talk, think, work through this stuff. If you want some advice on some books to read, anything, reach out. We're here for you. What can we do for you? And maybe that idea is one that we can carry through all kinds of other places. Take a minute and look around and go, what can I do for you? Because we're doing this all together. We're building something together. When Jesus showed up in the temple, a couple of the, uh, the elders said, who the heck does this guy think he is? I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I mean. 
Who does this guy think he is? How are you doing this? Come on, you're, you're, oh, you're wrecking, the, oh, that, you're, oh, that was our favorite. You're wrecking the place. Why are you doing this? And Jesus basically said, you know, sometimes to build the house, you got to tear the house down. You know what I mean? Think about what you're taking for granted. Think about that sacred cow or giant hunk of tofu that has to get out of the way, you know? Think about the thing that maybe you didn't want to look at. The, the elder said, uh, when Jesus said, look, you know, we might have to tear this whole thing down, but don't worry, it's going to be okay. The elder said, wait a minute, do you know how many years it took to build the temple? Are you kidding me? And when I read that, and I read that story over and over again all the time, because it means a lot to me. When I read that, I think about how many times in my own life I have said, man, I don't want to get rid of that thing, that possession or that way of expressing or that relationship, that whatever it is. I don't want to get rid of that because I put a lot of time into it. How many times in life have we put a lot of time into something that wasn't so smart to begin with, but we didn't want to let it go because we invested time. But when we make that choice, we only end up investing more time and it gets harder to let go of. Jesus said, look, you can tear this temple down and I'll raise it up again in three days. Now we know, of course, this is a lesson about Easter and we'll get there. That's important. But in this moment too, part of what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you can take the long way around and build things by learning the hard way and trying to buy your way into spirituality and by freaking out and being mad, trying to demonstrate something that is just as free as air. Or you can do it the easy way, the three-day way versus the 65 years way, you know? So like I said, you know that there are some things that you can stop doing, things that you can get rid of, things that you can grow past. But in the same way, there are easy things that you can do right now. What does a child of God look like? How does it work out in your situation? How can I act like I remember that I'm free and that I belong to God? How can I clean up this mess? How can I build something? Those are the steps. Remember you're free. Realize that there's work to do and do the work. That's all there is to it. This can work for you. This life, this spirituality, this moment, this adventure. Yeah, you know what? We got a lot of cleaning, but we all got brooms and none of us is alone and all of us are free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.